Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Fight fans, welcome into another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio, and we have a big one for you today. We're coming to you from our new studio here, our shiny new studio, but it looks exactly the same because we replicated it. But we are back from Long Island, New York, after a very big fight weekend. Joining us on the show, two very big guests, David Benavides. He's the two-time two-time WBC super middleweight champion of the world. Great interview with Benavidez. He gives us his thoughts on BJ Saunders' performance this past weekend. He talks about Canelo fighting Caleb Plant, what he thinks of his YouTube superstars, as well as the WBC franchise belt. You don't want to miss that interview with David Benavides. He was lucky enough, or lucky, we were lucky enough to have uh, David on the show. He joined us via the Skype hotline all the way from Seattle, Washington. Great interview uh, with the super middleweight champ. Of the world, Dennis Benavides. Also, David Benavides. Also joining us on the program, Chris Mannix. You know him from the Zone and Sports Illustrated. He was ringside this past weekend at the Staples Center for this YouTube fight. We'll talk to Mannix about that. We'll also get his thoughts on what Canelo does next. And we can't forget about December 7th. He'll be on the call in Saudi Arabia uh, when, when Anthony. Joshua takes on Andy Ruiz in the desert. That is a huge fight. Mannix will be unofficially scoring it as well as calling the fight. Also, I want to get his thoughts on Errol Spence. Uh, Errol Spence, of course, was in the news uh, when he flipped his Ferrari, uh, came out of the, the hospital, but the PBC has been very mum on what Errol Spence is, uh, his status. So we'll check in with Mannix on that. Two great interviews, two great guests. Got to talk about the fight of the weekend. I'm going to say it's the fight of the weekend because in a way in, in Donaire, that fight happened on Thursday. So I can get away with saying that Logan Paul KSI was the event of, of the weekend and it had, took place at the Staples Center out in California and just wow a lot going on this night it was an experiment I think it's an experiment that paid off for the zone especially if you hear what Eddie Hearn had to say about it uh, yesterday he went on, on a radio show and said that this fight was the most watched fight in the history of the zone all one year of the zone but it was the highest it did more than Ruiz Joshua it did more than Canelo versus Jacobs it did more than anything Gennady Golovkin did look over at the UK pay-per-view sales more pe- people bought Logan Paul KSI 2 than bought uh, Ruiz versus Joshua. Can't deny the numbers. Go on YouTube. Take a look at some of the fight highlights. 10 million views last time I checked uh, the fight highlights over on the Zone's YouTube page. As well as the face-to-face that Mannix did uh, with the two fighters. That was up to 8 or 9 million. You can't deny the numbers that this fight did. You talk to any promoter, they might criticize it and say that this was trash, but they would do it as well when they saw the, the, the checks that are going to start rolling in. And it's interesting because we don't know where it's going to go from here. Is this a slippery slope? Will we see, Will the zone keep doing this? And that's why we had Chris Mannix, uh, his interview coming up next, to get his thoughts. You know, he works for the zone. He can let us know if they have any plans to do these in the future. But as for the fight, I'm not going to get too deep. Uh, into what happened in the ring. It wasn't that good of a fight. It was a six-round fight, but it also wasn't terrible. I mean, these guys came in shape. Uh, I thought there was a little more technique in the first fight rather than the second one, but Paul outlanded KSI 61-56, to and the total connects. KSI was a little more active, but I also thought KSI was a little more out of control with some of his haymakers. Paul gassed in the like middle two rounds, so it was kind of the opposite of the first fight where KSI gassed, and Paul took advantage. I thought that KSI came out uh swinging early on he definitely was swinging there were a lot of haymakers but uh i mean i'm more inclined to talk about the scene that was going on 
outside uh, the Staples Center, inside the Staples Center in the corridors. And uh, if you don't follow Rafe Bartholomew, you should. Writes for The Athletic. He had a great article that kind of summed up. He was there at the Staples Center. The strange atmosphere that was going on inside of the Staples Center. Teenagers, you know, with their phones out, not even watching the fights that were going on in the ring, the the, the prelims, and we'll get to those, uh, Devin Haney and BJ Saunders, but waiting for the next YouTube superstar to walk into the arena and get their selfie. I mean, I was watching the countdown show with my man Worldwide Wob on there, and they were, did this black carpet where the YouTube stars would come up. Didn't have any idea who they were. I mean, not a clue. And I'm a pretty plugged-in guy when it comes to pop culture, social media, and stuff. But it's a whole different world. The zone tapped into it. I mean, Mayweather McGregor brought out LeBron James and Denzel Washington ringside. Logan Paul versus KSI brought on a girl who peed on the floor and a fake Ed Sheeran. So... Interesting weekend. Uh, I think we'll see more of it, and we're going to get Chris Mannix's thoughts uh, on that moving forward. Also on the card, Devin Haney picked up a, uh, I would say, a well-earned decision over Alberto Santiago. Dropped him in the fifth round. Kind of slow the brakes a little bit. Trying to pump the brakes on, on Devin Haney. We did the same thing with Teofimo Lopez uh, in his last fight in, in July. We kind of had a hype train around him. Big hype train around Devin Haney, and rightfully so for both guys. But they showed their age a little bit. They're, they are under 23 years old, both of them. Uh, and let's you know maybe pump the brakes a, a tiny bit here before we crown them as the next big thing because you know they're not just going to go in there and knock everyone out. I wouldn't say they were exposed. I don't like that word. But Devin Haney moves on, picks the win. That's most important. B.J. Saunders, on the other hand, picked up a win, but I did not think he looked good. I don't think anyone uh, thought he looked good. He picked up a TKO win in round 11 over a very game Marcelo Coseras from. And it was tough. I mean, he was uh, behind on one of the scorecards. He was only up two points on the other two cards. Those middle rounds, I thought, were all Coceres rounds. He was counterpunching. He was jabbing. He was doing what we thought BJ Saunders was going to do in there. And I, for Saunders, it was uh, his you know, a fight at 168. does not look natural at 168. He, he didn't come in shape. He didn't, didn't look good. But he got the win. It's in the bang the drum for a potential fight with Canelo Alvarez. And we'll talk more about that. With Chris Mannix coming up. Uh, other fights this weekend. Jamal Herring. The pride of Long Island. Uh, the pride of, of, of the armed forces. On Veterans Day weekend. Defends his title. And this fight was great. His ring entrance was off the charts. Came in on a Hummer. He had the armed forces surrounding him. Awesome scene in Fresno. He picks up the win. Uh, you know, Didn't look spectacular. But he got the W against a game opponent. in Golden Boys Lamont Roach. Herring has a lot of options now. 130-pound division is one of the best in boxing. He can unify with Burchelt. He can unify with Andrew Cantio, who's fighting at the end of this month. Those are the other champions at 130. Carl Frampton also in the mix. You can Bob Arum was on record saying that he would like to get Frampton, Frampton in there with Herring. You know, Herring wants a payday. He deserves a payday. If anyone deserves a payday in boxing, it's Jamel Herring. And it's a little upsetting uh, that he didn't get his just due this weekend. I mean, he won the title on Memorial Day in May, and then he defends it. On, on on Veterans Day weekend, that's just great stuff. And hopefully he gets his just due because he's a great guy and he's a great fighter. And finally, this Thursday, we saw this great fight between uh, Inouye and Donaire. Awesome fight. That was awesome. Donaire is a warrior who will probably go off into the sunset and retire. But Inouye is a stud. And we're going to talk more about Inouye in, in case you missed it. But first, we catch up with the 168-pound champion, David Benavides. Here he is. 
Our next interview on Inside Boxing Live is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden and Times Square. Go into Jack Doyle's for all your entertainment needs. From happy hours to birthday parties to private events, Jack Doyle's has you covered. Once again, that's Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 240 West 35th Street. We are joined right now by the two-time super middleweight champion of the world. He is David Benavides. He picked up the strap once again this past September at the Staples Center when he defeated Anthony Durrell. And he joins us right now all the way from Seattle, Washington. David, thank you so much for joining us. How's life been since you got that green belt back in your life? You know, it's been really great. You know, um, it was a very hard, you know, a uh, very hard training camp for my last fight. You know, I knew I was, I was up against a great champion, a very game champion in Anthony Durrell, you know, and um, it was everything I expected it, expected it to be. I knew it wasn't going to be an easy fight, but I knew I could get the victory and get the stoppage. And, um, you know, the people there enjoyed the fight, and, and, and it, was, it was a great experience. And now I'm two-time uh, WBC world champion. Two-time WBC world champ at the age of 22. I was at the fight. You got a huge pop when you entered the arena. I was, I mean, I was taken back by it. I knew you were very popular, uh, especially with the Mexican heritage. You have a lot of fans behind you. But I was also impressed with your poise. A lot of people tab you as a brawler, you know, Mexican style, throw a lot of punches, 70 punches around. But I was really impressed with your poise. I mean, you actually, you know, it was a systematic breakdown of Durrell. You actually out-jabbed the jabber. Durrell came in as someone that throws a lot of jabs. You landed 31% of your jabs. You held Durrell to just 10 punches per round. Take us through that aspect of it. Do you, are you happy that people are not just looking at you as just a brawler, but more of a boxer as well? You know, uh, well, it, it just d depends on the fighter. You know, whatever style they bring to the fight, that's, you know, I just go off of that. You know, my game plan is always, you know, getting my jab out there because that's my best weapon, you know, out of, out of anything, you know. So if the jab can land and I kind of work from there, you know, I try not to, you know, rush into things. You know, I just try to set up my shots. I try to pick my shots, you know, but I also go by what's available. You know, if, if I see the punch that it's, it's available, you know, I'm going to throw it over and over again. But you know, I'm not. I'm not a reckless fighter. You know, I'm, I, I I can say I'm. You know, I'm a. I'm a smart brawler. You know, at the end of the day, it's always about you know getting my shots in and not getting hit at all. You know, so um, I'm gonna be there in the pocket. You know, but I'm just not. I'm just not gonna take a necessary punishment. You know, but I'm. I'm always gonna be there in your face. You know, whenever whenever the opportunity presents itself. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the hit the shot every time. Yeah, 70 punches thrown around. That's quite a lot of punches. But I read that you started boxing at age three. How is that possible? You had to be the toughest kid in nursery school. Yeah, well, no, because my brother always boxed. You know, my brother started boxing first, so he was about, you know, eight, nine years old, and I always wanted to be like my older brother. So, you know, it kind of just started, you know, a little kid just being in the gym, you know, just doing everything my brother was doing. And then, you know, as time started going by, you know, we started doing, um, you know, we started running the mountains, you know, sparring, you know, so everything. It's just, I just been, boxing has been in my family my whole life. So, you know, it's, it's basically, it's, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, this is just part of my life. Yeah. So at age three, when you put gloves on, I mean, the gloves had to be almost bigger than you. Like, did they drag you down? What type of gloves did you use back at age three? Well, I mean, I think I, it was those, those, those Everlast gloves. You know, I don't really remember what type of gloves they were, you know, but... The good thing about me is that my dad, he never seen it as a game for me. He never took it easy on me. He said, if I was going to train, we're going to train 100%. You know, so I was I was a little kid, but, you know, my dad never really took it easy on me. So it, uh, it's, I've always, it's always been 100%, even since I was three years old. I remember the first time I ran a mountain, I was like four years old. You know, I'm, I, um, and I, I ran with my brother. 
you know, but my brother, he didn't want to wait up for me, you know, and he just left me. So I kind of had to find my way back all the time. But, you know, I just, I don't regret anything I've been through. You know, that, all, I, all, all that stuff I've been through, you know, it just made me tougher, you know, and it got me to where I'm at today uh, at being a two-time WBC world champion at 22. Right, you bring up your age, 22 years old. And, you know, it's funny, in the boxing world, the media, the fans, they're always talking about the next wave of, of fighters, and they list the best young fighters in the game, and it's you know, Devin Haney, and they list Tiafimo Lopez, uh, you know, they list Javante Davis, they list Ryan Garcia. Why don't they? I don't. I don't understand why don't they name you in there. Do you? How do you look at at that? I just feel like you know, I'm just I'm just, I'm just a young veteran. You know, I'm, I I already have seven years. You know, professional. I turned professional when I was 16 years old. You know, I've, I won my first title when I was 20 years old. So I just kind of been in the loop. I feel like not everybody even knows my age. You know, because I don't really. I don't make it a big deal. I don't throw it out there. You know, if the people that know me know me, you know, I, I'm just, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I've surpassed all the young fighters. I'm a young veteran and I just want to be known as a great champion. I really don't care about, you know, people knowing my age. And I'm just, at the end of the day, I am 22 years old and look at me now, I'm two-time WBC world champion and I could, I could really say I'm a young veteran in the game. No, I, I agree with you there because the, the guys that I listed, you know, um, Devin Haney has a belt, but he was kind of gifted the belt, sort of say, with the new franchise stuff. So yeah, I do understand that that why you're not listed in those names because you're you might be 22, but you're at a different uh, stage uh, in the game. You're at the WBC convention, and there was a lot of talk going on about this franchise belt. I know that you've just won the WBC belt, but you know Canelo has the franchise uh, status. Uh, Lomachenko has the franchise status. It was recently unearthed that uh, Deontay Wilder, if they offered it to him, he would not take it. Uh, where do you stand on that? If they offered you the franchise uh, status, would you accept it? To be honest, man, I don't. Uh, I don't think I would. I mean, I. I just. I don't see the point of it. You know, there's. There's a silver. There's a. There's a world title, and then there's the diamond. I really. I feel like you know. No disrespect to the WBC, but I don't feel like. The franchise belt is really necessary. You know, um, I feel like with the with the diamond and the world champion, I think that's more than enough. Uh, or, or the world title, I think it's more than enough. I, I just really, I don't even know what the franchise, you know, belt. What is what does it mean technically? Because I, I really didn't, don't even know what it means. Basically, what it means is that you don't have to fight your mandatories. You can jump around weights. You can um, kind of pick and choose. Like they did it for Canelo, obviously, because he's hopping weights left and right. They did it for Lomachenko because he's doing the same. So that's why Wilder said he didn't want to do it because he's, he believes that mandatories are good for boxing and these guys have worked so hard to get to that status at a shot at him. So basically with the with that distinction, you wouldn't have to fight your mandatories. You would kind of be in the driver's seat. Well, you know, I just, like, I feel like me, I mean, that's probably better for, like, a, I mean, a, like, a Canelo, because he's, you know, he's had a lot of experience. It's probably good for him or, or Lomachenko. I feel like me, that I'm coming up, you know, I want to find my mandatories. I feel like I'm, I'm not in a position where I don't have to find my mandatories. You know, um, I feel like just for me to prove to myself, my fan, and to the world of boxing that I'm the best, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with the belts I have right now. You know, I don't feel like... I don't feel like I could accept the franchise champion, even if they offered it to me. But, you know, I'm, I'm at the end of the day, you know, I want to be the best and I want to fight the best. So that's that's basically just how I feel about that. You know, I'm comfortable with the, the, the WBC world title I have. I don't feel like I deserve a, a franchise championship yet. You know, maybe in the future. But right now I'm, I'm comfortable fighting the best in my division. Yeah, you keep knocking guys out like the way you're doing. You'll, you'll yeah. get there in, in, in no time. Let's list some guys that are actually in your division and some fights that could be happening uh, in the near future, I'll throw out some names that are in your division. You tell me what you think about these guys. B.J. Saunders, he fought on Saturday night. 
That would that would be a great fight. You know, I've seen his. I I don't really think too much about his performance on Saturday. You know, the guy. You know, the guy. I thought he B.J. Sanders was gonna get him out there. You know, in a couple rounds. You know, what I mean, it, it was very surprising that the guy. You know, even made it to 11 rounds. And some people say that he won most of the rounds. So I feel like you know, Billy Joe Sanders. He's a great fighter. He's a great. He's a great technical fighter. He's a great boxer. But I feel like you know, just my size and you know. uh my size, my weight, and, you know, the pressure I put on him, I think I'll be a little, be a little bit too much for him. Danny Jacobs, he's moving up to your division now. He's fighting uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in Phoenix, your your hometown. Uh, but uh, what do you think of Danny Jacobs now at 168? Danny Jacobs is a great fighter as well. You know, that's a fight I would love to take. You know, and um, Danny Jacobs just has so much names that he's fought. You know, Kid Chocolate, he's fought, um, what do you, he fought Anthony Durrell. No, he fought Andre Durrell. No, he did he? No. Did he? No, he fought Canelo. You know, he's fought so much great fight. He's fought so much great fighters that I feel like that would be a great name for me. You know, if, um, I feel like I could beat him as well. You know, so if I could have that name in my record, that'd be great for my resume. You know, in the future. He also went life in death with uh, Triple G. Let's also yeah, yeah. let's also go to uh, another champ at 160s, Callum Smith. He many look at him as the the cream of the crop in the, in the division. I'm sure you think otherwise. You know, Callum Smith is a great fighter. Like I said, um, that's a fight I think I could beat. I think I could beat him. And, you know, he has he has a ring magazine. He has a WBA uh, WBA a super title, and he has the diamond, uh, the WBC diamond. So you know, I feel like that's a super fight we can make happen. You know, that's that's one of the fights I really want to. I'm really excited to make happen in the future because at the end of the day, you know, he's a top level fighter, he's a world class fighter. But I feel like I'm a, I'm a world class fighter too. And at, and at the end of the day, who would win would be the fans. You know, that would be an amazing fight for everybody to watch. Another amazing fight, and I think you know where I'm going with these next two names. It's a fight that can be very easily made in the PBC family. You got one champ versus another champ. You got a guy that can talk very well versus you that can talk very well as well. As well, I know you guys don't like each other. You've exchanged some barbs back and forth. I'm talking about Caleb Plant. What do you think about him as a fighter? Not just him as a person, but as a fighter. Um, he's a, he's a good fighter, nice technical fighter. You know, I think you know he's a, he's a good boxer. But like I said, you know, I feel like you know his gas tank kind of runs out in the later rounds. You know what what he did with Uskatecki. You know, he was beating Uskatecki the first six rounds, but it kind of seemed like he gassed out. You know, if he would gas out against me, you know, I'd take him out no problem. You know, I'm not Uskatecki. I'm not a one punch fighter. So I feel like that fight. You know, that that would be a very personal fight for me. That thing that that would be a fight that would sell a lot. You know, we both we both don't like each other. We made that very clear. You know, he would say some stuff. You know, I'll say some stuff. The press conferences oh, would be fun. That'd would be, be awesome. amazing, you know. So it would be a great build-up to the fight, and that's a fight I really want to make happen. You know, maybe the next two fights, you know, that's the fight I want to make happen. Are you surprised that a lot of people are, like, edging Plant in a matchup between you two? They think, he, you know, he's a more technical fighter than you. What do you say to those people? I mean, um, at the end of, I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good technical fighter, but then at, at the end of the day, he doesn't belong to 168. You know, he's a, he makes 160 easy. You know, he probably walks around at 168. You know, I feel like my size advantage, you know, I'm way bigger than him. You know, um, he can run around. He can do whatever he wants for the first six rounds. But I feel like I, my second one is better than his, you know. So, you know, you can run. You can run all you want. But at the end of the day, you're not, you're not going to be able to hide. You know, I'm going to catch you sooner or later. Uh, and you know where I'm going with this last one. He is the biggest name in the sport. He's campaigning at three different weight classes right now. It would be an all-Mexican battle. I think that this fight in a few years could be one of the biggest fights in boxing. Of course, I'm talking about Canelo. The fight could take place at 168, could maybe take place at 175. I'm sure you jump up for that opportunity. Talk to us about one day getting in the ring with Canelo Alvarez. 
Yeah, yes, sir. You know, if we get that fight made, that'll be a dream come true. You know, I feel like for me to get that fight, I have to clean out my whole division first in my promotion company. And, you know, I think that would give me enough experience I need to go in there and beat Canelo because Canelo, he's, he has a lot of experience. But I feel like I have what it takes to beat Canelo with the size advantage. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm way younger. You know, I have um, I have a lot of power. I have a lot of tools that he hasn't seen yet. You know, um, and I feel like it would be a great a great showdown. You know, I, I already see a lot of people talking about it. They're getting excited about it. So, you know, maybe in a couple of years I could be a big super fight. You know, I feel like I fit in there perfectly because, you know, Canelo, he's kind of... You know, there, there's, there's not too much fights that people are excited to see, uh, to see him. And, you know, I feel like, um, so I feel like in a couple of years, my name fits in there perfectly to fight with Canelo. No, you're right. I mean, he's got this huge deal with the zone. I think he's only two or three fights into it. He's got seven more to go. He's ready to jump up to 175 because it was a, a bigger name or a bigger fight for him. He wanted to take on, uh, you know, a, a bigger challenge. Uh, in Kovalev, how'd you see that fight taking place? Were you surprised um, at the way that I was a little fought? bit, I was a, a little bit disappointed in that fight, man. You know, Kovalev, he he kept the distance very good, but I just feel like, uh, I feel like Kovalev, he just he was just pleased to go. Um, his his game plan was just to go 12 rounds. It wasn't to win it. You know what I mean? I didn't see too much hard shots. He landed some good shots, but you know, it wasn't the Kovalev we're used to seeing. You know, I feel like he, you know, his career is, you know, it's it's, it's you know, it's close to being done already. You know, but. Respects to him. He went in there, you know, he, he made it to the 11th round, but, you know, I feel like he should have, he should have took a little bit more chances. He got knocked out anyway, so he should have took a little bit more chances. Do you ever see yourself going up to 175? You're a big guy. You, you make 168 comfortably now at age 22, but maybe down the road, if eventually if you want that Canelo fight, who knows what he'll be at that point. But do you see yourself ever going up to 175? Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, right now, just, just there's just so much great fights to be made at 168 that I'm just comfortable right here, you know. And I'm not going to leave 168 until I make all these fights happen. But uh, I'll be, you know, I'll be even stronger at 175. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a big dude. You know, I'm going to go up. I'm barely 22 years old. So I think in, you know, two, three years, my body's going to need to go up to 175. So, you know, I feel like that's a dangerous, uh, not a dangerous, but I would be dangerous in that category because I would be way stronger, way faster. And I'll be, you know, more hydrated because I wouldn't be, ha I wouldn't have to lose as much weight. You know, I probably have to lose like 10 pounds, you know, so I mean. It's um, I'm 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 good at 168, but I'm still you know I'm I'm looking forward to go to 175 in the future. You know I think it's gonna be a great category for me. Maybe one day we can see you jump up to cruiserweight and you can fight KSI. <laughs> did you watch? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> did you maybe. get your opinion on this? This YouTube fight is is just the talk of the boxing world, the talk of the sports world, talk of the YouTube world. I mean, you can go down all these different subcategories I didn't even know existed uh, in, until this weekend, but. You, I don't know if you watched the fight. Did you watch the fight? What did you think of this this YouTube fight between Logan Paul and KSI? I watched it. It was a great buildup. You know, I feel like you know they executed the buildup good. It was. It was. I, I'm not. I'm not gonna say it was a great fight. You know, it was. It was not really good at all. You know, but it was entertaining. I guess. You know, when you you have two guys that don't really know what they're doing. You know, um, it's fun to watch. I mean, I don't think it did really too much for boxing, just to bring some viewers. You know, but. At the end of the day, those viewers, they're not really they're not really boxing fans and they weren't really watching a true boxing fight. They were just you know, I they were just watching some YouTubers fight. You know, I mean, um it was a good fight, you know, it was entertaining, but I, I'm not gonna say it was a great fight. You know, it was it did it did its part, you know, it brought, you know, uh, it sold a lot, you know, it brought a lot of people to watch that fight, but you know, there's not too much I can say about it, you know. It's just, I'm not gonna you know, I'm not gonna you know, diss them, you know, because at the end of the day, they don't know what it is to train their whole life. Uh, 
you know, to have 20 plus years boxing. Me, myself, I have 18, 19 years boxing, you know, so they don't know what it's like to struggle like that. But, um, you know, hats off to them. They put on a great show. So, you know, I'm not going to say nothing, nothing else bad about them. But, you know, hats off to them. Yeah, I was going to say it wasn't the worst fight I've ever seen. It also was nowhere near the best fight I've ever seen. It's, it's towards the very low. It's like a step up above celebrities, a step up above like tough man fights. But it's interesting because a lot of fighters have gone to, onto Twitter and a lot of, of, of fans as well. But there was a few fighters that were kind of upset when they saw the amount of money that they made. I think they were guaranteed at least 900000 And they didn't quite understand, like, hey, these guys are making their debut and they're getting nine hundred k for this fight. I've been in the game for so long. How do you look at it? What do you see there? I feel like, you know, obviously it's not fair. But the way you carry yourself, the way you sell yourself, that's exactly how you have to do it. I mean, I feel like... As of talent-wise, they didn't deserve a million dollars, you know, or 900000 but they're getting that money because of who they are, how much that, that event generated so much money, you know what I mean? So, like, it's basically, you have to have the fan base, you have to know how to sell yourself to get that money, you know? Um, a lot of boxers don't get that money because they don't get exposed, you know, they don't, they don't have an, uh, enough viewers, you know, to, you know, like them to get that money, you know, but I feel like... Uh, there's some boxers, there's some very good boxers that deserve more more money than they're making, and it's just sad that they don't get it. All right. Before we let you go, where do you see fight next? I know you're you're training. Obviously, you're in the gym right now. You're you're getting your road work in. You're you're eager to get back in there again and, and keep, kind of keep this ball rolling. When can we see a fight again? You got Darrell wants a rematch. You got your mandatory. Uh, where do you see happening next? Right now, I gotta fight my mandatory, um, uh, Ildrum. You know, so he's he's a pretty game fighter. You know, but I feel like. That fighter, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, Darrell kind of, you know, brawled it out with them. You know, I think Darrell gave him a good fight. Um, but, you know, that's the next fight I'm going to take with Ildrum. I think it's going to be in January 25th or maybe early February. I'm not sure where at yet. But, you know, uh, we're doing what we have to do right now. We're, you know, we're, we're getting ready in the gym because he knows he's getting the opportunity of a lifetime, you know, fighting for the world title again. So, and, you know, I'm not planning on losing my title anytime soon. So I'm right here training. So as soon as um, as soon as I get like the location or where I'm gonna fight at, you know, I'll definitely put it on my Instagram. But as of right now, we're just we're just waiting to see the get the reply back. But we're definitely the gym uh, gym training hard. Yeah, you gotta keep facing those mandatory so you can pick up that franchise belt. <laughs> Yeah, yes, yeah, sir. There it is. David Benavides, appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to drop it up with us on here on Inside Boxing Live. Look forward to you getting to the ring again. Thank you so much for taking the time. All right, thank you guys for the interview. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a while since we did it. In case you missed it segment, we are back in a very big way. A lot going on in the boxing world. And we'll start it off with Danny Jacobs. He has a fight coming up December 20th in Phoenix, Arizona, going up against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. The fight was supposed to be in Las Vegas, but we all know what happened with Chavez when he eluded uh, the drug test and the fight got moved to Arizona. But the story here with Jacobs is he has a new trainer now. He is split up with Andre Rozier, who he was with for the majority over his entire professional career. And he has a new trainer going by the name of Fareed Samad. Samad is an ex-fighter who was also a trainer uh, for MMA fighters and boxers as well. The split has been rumored over money. I mean, it's always over money. We saw with Gandhi Golovkin and Abel Sanchez. These guys get to a certain amount of money where they're making, uh, and you saw it with, with Danny Jacobs in his last fight uh, against Canelo when he took home $12 million for that fight. And the trainers expect to get an increase in their percentage of the purse as well. And that didn't happen with Sanchez. And it looks like the same has happened to Danny Jacobs. He talked to Andre Rozier. 
he says, I don't have any bad things to say about Danny Jacobs, but I don't like him. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of taken the high road, but also took a few shots at Danny Jacobs. And it's going to be interesting to see what type of style uh, or changes that Danny Jacobs implements at this point in his career is on the north side of 30 years old. He's had some fights with, with Canelo. I know Triple G's been in some wars. We'll see what he's got at 168. Uh, I do think he has some firepower left, but he's going to have to step it up uh, in a higher division. But Danny Jacobs' new trainer is now Fareed Samad. Moving on to the WBC, they have loosened up their rules regarding clenbuterol. Uh, Ray Vargas, Julio Cesar Martinez failed VADA tests for trace amounts of clenbuterol uh, just recently, and they used the tainted beef excuse. It worked for Canelo, and now it's going to work for Ray Vargas. And guess what? Uh, turns out the WBC will no longer penalize fighters who test positive for small trace amounts of the diuretic known as clenbuterol. Apparently, farmers in Mexico spray the meat uh, or feed the, the cows. I'm not going to get into all that, but there's trace amounts of clenbuterol in this food. Whether or not it's a legitimate excuse, but there it is. Vargas and Martinez joined Canelo. Luis Neri, down goes Sylvester Stallone. He joins Francisco Vargas as Mexicans who have all tested positive due to the tainted beef. So it's interesting with the WBC here. You can just read between the lines here. They're making up rules as they go along. They're not going to penalize these Mexican fighters. What happens if an American fighter tests positive for small traces of clenbuterol? And their excuse is that they ain't tainted beef? Or how does that work? Keep tuned uh, to what goes on with the WBC. Finally, one of the best fights of 2019. Naoe Inoue suffers a broken orbital bone and nose uh, in his fight with Nonito Donaire. He suffered the broken nose in the second round of the fight. Continued to fight 10 rounds with a broken orbital bone and a broken nose in what many are considering the fight of the year. Awesome fight. I was up at 7 a.m. Eastern time watching it on the zone. I woke up, you know, doing the old one eye watching it in my bed. And then by the, the middle second round, I was up watching this fight, pacing back and forth. It was that type of fight. But this is interesting because with Inoue, he is signed with Top Rank after the fight. It was announced that they had a partnership, and he's going to be coming over to the States. It'll be his second fight uh, in the U.S. in 2020. Now we don't know exactly when that's going to be because they were scheduling February for his return. Puts that in jeopardy. He says that he doesn't need surgery, and he can maybe just uh, you know let it heal uh, on his own. But it's been interesting to keep an eye on Inoue, who many consider uh, the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world that is it for in case you missed it i'm going to check on sylvester stallone and here in rocky i think his head just fell off but this has been another in case you missed it segment here on inside boxing live our next interview on inside boxing live is brought to you by jack doyle's restaurant and bar jack doyle's restaurant and bar located just a few steps away from madison square garden and times square go into jack doyle's for all your entertainment needs from happy hours to birthday parties to private events jack doyle's has you covered once again that's jack doyle's restaurant and bar located on 240 west 35th street our next guest you can see him in a number of different places you can catch him on the zone as the commentator interviewer unofficial scorer i think he does a jack of all trades for them as well as sports illustrated he's their senior writer both nba and boxing i'm of course i'm talking about chris Mannix. now chris your colleague, Sergio Morris, said that you entered the Twilight Zone before this YouTube fight. Are you still in the Twilight Zone? How are you feeling after spending uh, seven days with a bunch of influencers and, and YouTube stars? And, and go down the list. How are you feeling after that Logan Paul KSI fight? It was certainly different, that's for sure. Um, you had a crowd that, that was 
very young arriving, uh, very early arriving, I should say, on fight night. Um, it was a younger crowd than I've ever seen at boxing matches before. Uh, and, and you had fans there that were just very different than ones I've seen prior. I, I know there was a lot of consternation from the boxing community about how these two novices were headlining a card and it was embarrassing for the sports. I mean, that wasn't great boxing. It certainly wasn't the worst boxing I've ever seen. And these two guys showed up in shape. They made weight, which isn't something every fighter in boxing does. And they, they gave it their all. I don't think they embarrassed themselves at all. So, you know, who knows where stuff like this goes from here? Is it a one-off? Is it something that DAZN or other people do more of? But uh, I, I just think that it was a worthy experiment and one that, that went rather well. Well, the numbers, I mean, I don't know if you caught this. Eddie Hearn was on Sirius XM yesterday, earlier in the week, and he says that it, it did insane numbers. It was one of the most, or the most viewed fight on the DAZN platform so far. It did more pay-per-view buys in the UK than Joshua and Ruiz. That leads me to believe that, you know, they're going to want to do that again. They're going to, you know, DAZN and the executives and the powers that be are going to want to see those returns once again. Do you, have you heard anything uh, from anyone at DAZN that they would do these more if they keep going with these YouTube fights? Well, I think it's it's definitely on the radar. Um, in what role, in what capacity, I, I don't know exactly what that would look like. Um, I don't think they're too keen on making these events the main event moving forward. I mean, I think that was a one-off in a way. Um, but I do think you could see, you know, high-level or very popular YouTube guys on undercards. I mean, one very realistic option is Jake Paul, the brother of Logan Paul, who's uh, very aggressively trying to get a fight of his own, whether it's against KSI, his brother, or somebody else. Um, I, I think you could see that in a supporting role for a, a major fight down the line. I, I just think if you have a whole bunch of new subscribers, you're going to have to find a way to retain them. And the only way to retain some of these subscribers is going to be putting on fights like this on some level in 2020. So uh, I don't know that we'll see an event like this moving forward, but I do think we'll see YouTube fighters, celebrity fighters on card at some point in the future. Well, with that being said, could we potentially one day see Chris Mannix versus Todd Grisham? Oh, no. We don't want to see me in the ring against anybody. I, I, Todd's, a, Todd's a pretty big guy, too, so I don't know if I, I want any part of him. You've gotten in the ring before. Who was that with? Uh, did he? I don't even know. I mean, no, I mean, you didn't. You get in the ring and you and you sparred. Was it Kovalev? Oh, I, yeah. I I bought. It was probably ten years ago. Now I boxed Juan Manuel Marquez in a exhibition match. Uh, but that was a younger, more athletic, and more willing to get hit version of me. <laughs> you had the height advantage over Marquez too. But maybe, hey, let's 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 one day it could it could happen. But one thing I'm seeing though is the boxing world, like you said, is just up in arms. Like the the fighters. I saw a few actual um, world championship fighters saying that they didn't understand why they're making so much money. I guess they don't understand basic economics. But one thing I am seeing is maybe the trickle-down effect of this could be that boxers will be more willing now to do interviews. Boxers will be more willing to market themselves, social media. Uh, you know, maybe it would be good for you guys like us that are in the media. And, you know, it's tough to get these dudes to do interviews. It's tough to get them to be to open up. So maybe the trickle-down effect isn't so negative after all if we see fighters take their marketing a little more serious. Do you agree? I do agree. I think you can learn a lot from 
what these guys did with organic marketing, you know, with their own social media accounts, YouTube pages. Now, there are no fighters that can match the, the, the reach of Logan Paul and KSI. I mean, they've just built this huge community on the Internet that, uh, that follows them religiously. But, you know, fighters can start going in that direction. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I personally think that Logan Paul is a genius. I mean, having just been around him for about a week, I mean, he just knows what he's doing. Like, he's definitely crass, but you can see some of that is an act, and that, that in and of itself isn't unusual, you know, in fighters before a fight. I mean, how many times have we seen guys say nasty things to each other in boxing and hug it out right. as soon as the fight is over? So that's, that's far from the first time we've seen that. But, you know, this guy knows everything you need to know about promoting yourself on the Internet. And, you know, if there's someone out there and hired him as a uh, – as a consultant, I think that might even be a smart idea. I mean, just to help these guys build their own platforms on social media, I think that'll help them increase their popularity as well. Right. I think there's a lot of good that can come from it. I think, you know, a lot of the old heads and the boxing Puritans, you know, they want to look at the negative, but let's, I mean, it happened. If you don't like it, don't watch. I mean, I think there'll be more of them. It'd be interesting to see how they position them going forward. I was a little surprised. I don't know how this worked out. Um, reading some of the stories of the guys that were there, you know, not a lot of fans were actually tuning in or in their seats for the Haney fight or the BJ Saunders fight. Like you, you brought up before how they might put it all YouTube card. Maybe we could see that where it's, it's less of, of putting like legit championship fights on there and more like maybe four rounders where guys are, are throwing haymakers, not rough and rowdy, but maybe a step up from that. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think that's a slippery slope. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you have to have quality control somewhere. And while, you know, it certainly wasn't the most attentive crowd when Saunders and Haney were fighting, there were people in seats. And I think it would have been more, it would have been a more attentive crowd if those were better fights. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders was um, not in the best of condition for that fight. I mean, a lot of that to do with his illness, but... Um, there was a pretty good roar where he scored the knockout at the end when the action picked up. Mm. Uh, Devin Haney, um, you know, I don't know what he did to his shoulder. I think he tweaked it. Um, he said dislocated it. I think it might be a little less significant than that. But, um, you know, it, that wasn't the most entertaining fight as well. So I think that had was part of the reason it wasn't the most engaged crowd. I, I still think it's a good idea if you do put these YouTube guys on and, and have their following there. You have to flesh it out with um, – with real fighters and, and maybe tweak the matchmaking a little more to make sure that we get a, a spectacular ending to those fights. Right. Guys that throw a lot of punches, guys that are willing to get hit, you know, they'll do, I do think they'll do some tweaks to it. Moving over to the biggest rematch in the heavyweight division in the last 20 years, it's Anthony Joshua and it's Andy Ruiz. It goes down December 7th on the zone. You'll be on the call going back to, to MSG in their first fight. What did that fight mean to boxing and the heavyweight division? I mean, it was it was enormous. Um, you know, it, it it basically put a jolt of electricity into the division because if Anthony Joshua had won, he would have gone on, fought Kubrat Pulev in a fight over in the UK that very few people would have paid any attention to. Now, for the first time, you know, since Fury Wilder, and you know, before that, you have to go back even further. You've got a anticipated heavyweight matchup. Um, you know, with a lot of questions. I mean, Anthony Joshua has been relatively mum since going into training camp. The question is, is he cashing out by taking this fight in Dubai and or in, uh, in Saudi Arabia, I should say, and and going out and 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 sort of not not taking it in his hometown of of uh, or his home turf in the UK. And for Andy Ruiz, you know, 
time has always been Andy Ruiz's biggest enemy. Uh, when he's been active, he's been effective. But now he's going to go into this rematch basically having six months off. Um, you know, what kind of fighter is he going to be, you know, with that time in between? I mean, the stakes couldn't be higher. I mean, this is, this is effectively the career, I think, for Anthony Joshua and for Andy Ruiz. A win could mean tens of millions of dollars in a matchup with Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury at some point in 2020. So it's just, there's just so many storylines that, that are associated with this fight. And I don't think there's a fight this year that, that is, has been or will be more anticipated. Right. The first fight was my fight of the year because I thought it, it provided that moment where you're on the edge of your seat and it changed the, the landscape uh, of the division and, and the sport in, in certain ways. You'll be on the call. I don't know if you'll be able to give us a prediction, but how do you see the rematch playing out? I honestly don't know because I, I don't, you know, Joshua hasn't made, to my knowledge, any substantive change, uh, changes to his team. Um, he's going to have to fight differently. Are the people that are in his camp capable of kind of unlocking that in him? Um, at the same time, I think we've been a little overly critical of Anthony Joshua. I mean, he is the first boxing superstar to get knocked out in the Internet age, in the Twitter age. I mean, imagine what we'd be, what Vladimir Klitschko would have gone through after Lehman Brewster or Lennox Lewis would have gone through after Asim Rahman. I mean, you know, he has been, this has been microanalyzed to like the, the smallest possible degree. So uh, I, I don't know which way you're going to go there. And I don't know what, what Ruiz is going to show up. I mean, I, I've seen sparring pictures of him. I've seen, um, I was, I was with him at the Canelo fight, did an interview with him there. Uh, he looked to be in pretty good shape, but you never know. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of variables. I, I honestly have no clue how this fight plays out. Now, with, with Joshua, I think you brought this up, and a lot of people are, are wondering about his psyche and what is he thinking and how does he feel. And, you know, at the press conference in New York I was at, he was very quiet and he was stone-faced and he was a little bit different than I've seen him in the past when he usually has, you know, flashes that megawatt smile. For Ruiz, I think he just has to do what he's been doing his whole career. Do you think that's an advantage for Ruiz come fight night? You know, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wish I had a good answer for you. <laughs> this is just a, a wild, wild situation. I mean, I, I just, I think Joshua, he, I, don't think he's, I don't think he's not mentally tough. I think Joshua's mentally tougher than people are giving him credit for, and I base that largely on the fact that he has fought very good opponents in his career, and he showed a lot of mental toughness getting off the deck against Vladimir Klitschko and coming back to knock him out. So I think Joshua's mental toughness is going to be there, or at least should be there on a fight like this. But, you know, when you get knocked out like that and, and kind of embarrassed on, on the world stage and see yourself on clips over and over again, have to answer all these questions, I don't know what your mindset's going to be. Similar with Ruiz. I mean, is he, is he just happy to now be, if nothing else, always the unified heavyweight champion at one point? Um, is he have the sense of urgency as well? I mean, I, I don't think I'll really get any kind of grasp on the mi mindset of these guys until I see them in Saudi Arabia and, and – that first round in the ring, we're going to see how Joshua fights, what kind of shape Ruiz is in, what kind of punch can he take at this point. I mean, it, there's just a lot of different ways I think this fight can go. Right. We're talking about Joshua and the X's and O's, not just the psyche. And I, we crunched the numbers at CompuBox, and we found something very interesting about Anthony Joshua. And I actually brought this up to him in an interview I did with him in New York. Joshua's first 16 fights as a professional, he was more of a brawler. He was a seek-and-destroy fighter. 57% of his thrown punches were power shots. Five fights after Klitschko, 57% of his punches were jabs. So it leads me to believe he is more of a, a, a boxer now. And it's interesting because many people think that the, the way his path to victory against Ruiz is by standing behind that jab. Do you think he'll come out a little more cautious in this fight? 
Well, I mean, look, I, I think he should. I mean, that's an effective strategy. He's six foot six, and Ruiz is what six foot six two at most. I mean, I've stood next to him. I'm about six three. Um, I, I don't see you know great great height in Andy Ruiz, and it's boring. And we've seen it in Vladimir Klitschko and Lennox Lewis, but when you fight behind the jab and followed up with big right hands, it's incredibly effective. So I'd like to see him, you know, if I'm Anthony Joshua's team, i like to see him fight in that style. Um, I don't know if he'll do it. He didn't fight like a big man in that first fight with Ruiz. And, again, they talked a lot about changing uh, some of the camp up, changing trainers. Uh, you know, they didn't do that. I- I'm just very curious to see how this all plays out, what the stylistic changes are in Joshua on fight night. From one Mexican superstar to the other, Canelo Alvarez, the biggest star in boxing, picked up a huge win in Las Vegas earlier uh, in November. You were on the call. You were there ringside. Anything you're hearing on what could be Canelo's next move? He's currently campaigning at three different weight classes. Where do you see him? Do you see him staying at 175, maybe you know, going back to 168 for a real title, or maybe down to 160? What have you heard of what's next for Canelo well, Alvarez? I, I don't believe he stays at 175. I think that was a one-off Um the WBO may allow him to keep that belt for a while to see if, you know, what happens in 2020 with the, you know, Beeble and, and better be and do they unify? And does that present an opportunity for Canelo to maybe move up, especially with Beeble down the line? I could see that. I think his next fight will be at 168. At this point, I don't think there's a clear front runner. Uh, we all know DAZN is going to push to have Golovkin, you know, be that next opponent. Uh, Eddie Hearn has said that he's going to you know, engage Canelo's camp and all that. But I reported earlier this week there have been some very preliminary conversations between the sides of Canelo and B.J. Saunders about a fight at 168. And you know, if you're Canelo, you can kind of sell that as, as maybe having a chance to win a real championship at 168. We all know that the secondary title he won is not necessarily a real title. Um, that's a relatively safe fight. But if he takes that fight, I don't think he can take it or DAZN would sign off on it unless there was a guarantee he fought uh, Golovkin later this year. He's going to have to fight Golovkin at some point uh, to make that contract worth it. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I can see him taking on Saunders and with this kind of, you know, a handshake agreement that we will get that third fight with Golovkin because there are fans that still want to see it, of course. Uh, DAZN wants to see it as well. Lastly, before we let you go, you're you're in the know. You're reporting every single day on the world of boxing. Have you heard anything on Errol Spence? If it's an interesting uh, story that's going on with here, he got out of the hospital, but not much word has come out uh, from the PBC camp. Obviously, he's scheduled to, or was you know had a handshake deal for a fight in January uh, with Danny Garcia. Have you heard anything on the Errol Spence front? Well, you know, a lot of gossip, and it's curious that we haven't seen photos of Errol Spence. Um, I did do a podcast that's going to come out later this week with a top boxing executive at Fox, and he expressed confidence that we'll see Errol Spence back in the ring in the first half of 2020. Uh, but, you know, you haven't heard much from Danny Garcia in terms of confirmation uh, about that fight with Errol Spence taking place. So I, I think there are still a lot of questions about the overall health of Errol Spence. I think the biggest question you know, we, we heard the reports of no broken bones and all that. And everybody kind of breathed a sigh of relief. But the facial stuff, you know, what happened there? I mean, how significant is the damage to his face? I mean, I think that is is something that is, is certainly going to affect his boxing career. I mean, that's something you have to protect. And we've seen fighters that have had significant damage to their face, whether it's broken orbital bones or other injuries there, uh, have, have long-term issues. So, I think I'm waiting to see if Spence does an interview at some point, whether it's with the PBC on Fox shows or any other reporter. 
I think that's sort of the next step. It is curious that he hasn't done that at this point to to at least give people a look at, at where he is at this point. All right, Chris Maddox is a very busy man. I appreciate you taking some time out to join us here on Inside Boxing Live. He'll be out in Saudi Arabia calling the biggest rematch in the heavyweight division in the last 20 years. Stay away from Grisham. I know it's a, it's a desert, but stay away from Todd Grisham out in the desert. <laughs> I'll do the best I can, Dan. Thanks. That is a wrap for another edition of Inside Boxing Live. A special thanks to our guests, David Benavidez and Chris Mannix. I'm heading out to Salt Lake City to be a part of the broadcast team for another edition of Broadway Boxing. Junior Fa on the card. Hemi Ahio is also on the card. Check it out on UFC Fight Pass. We'll be back for another edition of Inside Boxing Live next week with a brand new standing eight count. Thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you next time.